Blog Talk Radio.
My bag, y'all. My bag, my bag, my bag. Shalom, shalom, shalom. <laughs> Baba Kachua, which means good morning in ancient paleo Hebrew. Sorry, y'all. I've been talking all this time. I've been on mute. <laughs> my bag. Uh, let me see, y'all. Uh, did anybody tell me? Yep, Michelle with the water. <laughs> my bag. So anyway, man, I was sending shouts out like I always do, uh, welcoming everybody to the show. I'm your host, your brother, your friend, as always, Tyler Pa. Joined once again by my wife, Hasadai, in the building. Hello. One of some shouts out to our umbrella schools or uh, us collectively as ISBHPK. Shouts out to the brothers here in San Antonio, the brothers down in Houston, the brothers in VA, Rochester. Brother Kawakawa down in Guatemala. And shout out also to the brothers out in ABQ, man. And uh, it was good to see you, brothers. I'm not I'm not sure if y'all coming to the second Passover, which is going down here in San Antonio, uh, Sunday, May 14th at the Upstage Comedy Lounge on 4441 Walsham Road. Uh, not sure if you brothers are coming, but uh, it'd be good to see you brothers come through once again, man, and connect with y'all. Um, what was I at, man? Like I said, yeah, I was on mute and I was on the roll, so I'm trying to regroup, <laughs> having to repeat myself all the stuff I just said. But um, it is all good, man. I hope everybody's healthy. Hope everybody had a great weekend, a uh, good Shabbat. Hope everybody is uh being triumphant right now in their spiritual battles, man, and um. Hope everybody's good, man, in good spirits. Uh, the water machine for hooking up the broadcast. Um, let's get, yeah. Find this quick, quickly. So, y'all, if it's your first time tuning in to the show, um, Bible Talk, our little podcast we've been doing for quite some time. I do about an hour of news, current events, and then I jump into the topic at hand. I don't really have a lot of news today. Well, I kind of do, but it's less than I usually would have. So I do about an hour of current events, then I jump into the topic, uh, that topic being Never Wax Pale, part of a series that I've been doing for quite some time now. And I'm in uh, part five, entitled Idolatry. So going to the idolatry of the Israelites. We're going to be doing a lot of reading, y'all, and jumping back and forth between the Apocrypha, other various sources, and the New Testament, showing everybody how this ties in. The Greek captivity, the Greek... uh, Captivity, the the Greek occupation, the Greek coming into power ties in heavily to the New Testament. And so I'm going to bring that out. But before we even get there, y'all, let's go to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So this is the prayer that we need to be sending up on the daily all so we can get up out of this damn place, man. Let's get Psalm chapter 118 and verse 24. Read that, please, one now. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So good or bad, happy or sad, the most I brought you to it, he'll bring you through it, and you'll come out on the other side better because of it, man. And I know that is hard for a lot of us to believe, man. You know, it's like the scriptures tell you in James that uh, it says, count it all joy. When you are uh, when you fall into diverse temptations, man, with those temptations and those turmoils and drama that you go through, like I said, man, will definitely make you better, build you up, make you stronger, man. So, like I said, I got a little news. I want to start off with this one. Give me the first one uh, from the Guardian. You got it. Read that for me. All right. So as reported on TheGuardian.com, Harry Belafonte, singer, actor, and tireless activist, dies aged 96. Mm. So Harry Belafonte, y'all, has departed um, his earthly body and his spirit has went back. The most high man Brother lived 96 years man. He lived a long time Rio. The cause of death was congestive heart failure His spokesman told the New York Times As well as performing global hits Such as Deo The Banana Boat Song Winning a Tony Award for and acting that, And that's that's what he's widely known for everybody, When I think of everybody, Harry Belafonte I immediately think of that song and I also immediately think of um, what's the sister? Oh man, come on! I think she's mentioned here in the article. Oh man, oh Lena Horne, man! How could I forget Lena Horne? I always think of Lena Horne. She's like synonymous with Harry Belafonte. They did so many movies together, and I believe they had a little romance going on for a minute. Um, but I watched a couple of the movies back in the day, man. And uh, I heavily admire, he's one of the brothers I admire uh, as far as acting goes. Also, uh, the brother, Sidney Poitier. I admire Sidney and uh, Harry Belafonte, Harry Belafonte, man, because the brothers pretty much kept their hair natural, man. I know uh, Sidney did. Harry might have got, got a conk or something, but uh, read on in the article. As well as performing global hits such as Deo, the Banana Boat Song, winning a Tony Award for acting and appearing in numerous feature films, Belafonte spent his life fighting for a variety of causes. He bankrolled numerous 1960s initiatives to bring civil rights to black Americans, campaigned against poverty, apartheid, and AIDS in Africa, and supported left-wing political figures such as Cuba's Fidel Castro and Venezuela's, Venezuela's so, this is letting you know this brother was definitely for his people. And it shows in his rapport or his relationship that he had 
with Fidel Castro. Uh, and I don't know if y'all knew this, man. Uh, Fidel Castro is very welcoming, or Cuba in general, I don't know about now, but in the past it's been very welcoming to us, man. You know you can go over there, man, and you can get you a college degree for free over in Cuba. And, you know, it's sad that the uh, the U.S. and the U.N. have put all those sanctions on Cuba. And I'll do a little research, man. Cuba had a, a anti-corona, I don't know, it was, it, was, it was a vaccine, but it was a drug that was using early in the pandemic, man, that uh, pretty much kept their numbers really low. The media didn't been reported because they hate Cuba because it's a brown country. You know how that goes. And they uh, they put them embargoes on Cuba because they was mad at Fidel Castro for kicking all those gangsters out of Cuba, and they basically made Cuba their sin city. And I think that that, that popped off even before Vegas. And go back, y'all, watch the movies, uh, The Godfather, I think it's part two. It, it dabbles into a little bit of that history. It shows uh, the Cuban troops coming in, kicking uh, Mike Colleone, Al Pacino's uh, character out of Cuba. Uh, that movie goes into it. Also, here recently, the show, uh, The King, is it The King Harlem? I think that's the name of it, starring Forrest Whitaker. It goes into uh, a little bit of that Cuban history. Uh, dealing with Fidel and showing how uh, Malcolm X was meeting with um, Che Guerrero and uh, forming an alliance worldwide uh, with the Dark Nations. It's a good show, y'all. Check it out. Some of it is uh, fabricated, but a lot lot of it is based on historical events. But I say all this, man, to show that Harry Belafonte was definitely for his people and I didn't notice, but the brother was Benjamin. He was a Benjamite. He was from Jamaica. Um, where you at? Let's read a little bit more about his life. Go ahead. Belafonte was born in 1927 in working-class Harlem, New York. His and brother was born in 1927. <laughs> you know, he didn't seen the worst of the worst. Because it's different for us, 1927. It's different for people of color to have lived that long than it is for our counterparts who we loosely refer to as white. We have different stories because there's two Americas in the perspective that one is ownership and the other is servitude, man. And us people of color, we're always on the side of servitude, man. And I don't care how rich you get how famous you get, Ali said it best. He's still a nigga. Read it on. Um, and spent eight years of his childhood in his impoverished parents' native Jamaica. He returned to New York for high school but struggled with dyslexia and dropped out in his early teens. Didn't know that. He took odd jobs working in markets and the city's garment district, and then signed up to the U.S. Navy, age 17, in March 1944, working as a munitions loader at a base in New Jersey. Didn't know that either. This brother lived a pretty well-rounded life, you know? 
After the war ended, he worked as a janitor's assistant, but aspired to become an actor after watching plays at New York's American Negro Theater along with fellow aspiring actors. Hold on, wait a minute. He wasn't even a janitor. He was no. the janitor's <laughs> assistant. And this is after fighting in the war, man. You see the disparities? So for the white refugees, they would come home, they would get jobs. I'm sorry, not refugees, GIs. Mm-hmm. They would come home and get jobs. But blacks, people of color, they would come home and get looked over, <laughs> paid no damn attention, like they didn't even go and fight for this raggly-ass nation. And we fought in every war going all the way back to the first war, the War of Independence, man. Do your history. Do your research. We don't. Along with fellow aspiring actor Sidney Poitier, he took acting classes where his classmates included Marlon Brando and Walter Matthau, paid for by singing, paid for by singing folk, pop, and jazz numbers at New York club gigs where he was backed by groups whose members included Miles Davis and Charlie Parker. He released his debut album in 1954, a collection of traditional folk songs. His second album, Belafonte, was the first number one in the new U.S. Billboard album chart in March 1956, but its success was outdone by his third album the following year, Calypso. This brother was multi-talented, man. This is a bad brother. Lived a, a well-rounded life, man. And when I say, and I'll say this loosely, man, when I say he's back with the father, he's back with the father, y'all. There are a lot of people that really have an issue uh, when we say this, man, and they really have an issue with reincarnation with the Bible in general, man. I ran to a brother this weekend, man, uh, and I've seen the brother. He's been to the school before, but... uh, he, I asked him, you know, why he stopped coming, and he, he said he had a problem with reincarnation, man. And the brother even went so far as to say that we was reading out the Talmud. And I'm like, bro, who was reading out the Talmud? Well, nobody reading out the Talmud. Who? Tell me. Well, they didn't pull it out, but they were referencing it. I'm like, brother, come on. And, you know, when I meet brothers and they have uh, disputes or disagreements about doctrine or what have you, I always try to keep it peaceful. Because I'm just happy to see another Israelite, man. And I hope to win them because I invited the brother to come back, you know. I said, brother, come back and let's reason in the scriptures. Let's reason in the scriptures about reincarnation. But like I said, a lot of our people have issues with this. Let's get uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 7. And it's just a basic scripture dealing on reincarnation, man. You got it. Read that. Ecclesiastes 12 and 7. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was. Now, when it says the dust return to the earth as it was, let's do this step by step. Hold this and give me Genesis 2 and 7, please. No, because this is Karen. This is Karen. I'm doing it right now. Uh, hold on for a second. Hold on. Hold on. Yeah, Devin was asking me, uh, was this last week's show? No, it's, I'm live. I'm on live right now. 
I hope you're getting the, the live stream. I hope you you tuned into the right broadcast. Uh, you probably got thrown off by the title. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah, the different parts. But no, nah, man, I'm on live. Let me see. You got last week's show. Well, you tuned in right now. You should hear me talking. I'm talking about Harry Belafonte. Recent death. Right. Yeah, I know. So the link says 418. Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay, I'm sorry, y'all. Maybe I sent out the wrong link. Let me fix this real quick. Let me see. Let me look at it. What does it say? That's the one that's playing on the link. Two hours and ten minutes. Two hours and ten Oh, hey, Mashaba. Can you send me the link, a new link? I I sent out the, the one from last week. That's the one you sent me, though. You sent me the one from last week. Let me see. What's the uh, blog talk number? It is six four six. Hold up. Hold on, I think Mashaba just sent it. Yeah, he just sent it. Let me try this one. Did you get that, cuz? I just sent it to you. Sorry about the mix-up. Devin, let me know if you got that. I have to Where we at? No, not Genesis. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. Read that. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was. No, it says, then, I did tell you to go to Genesis 2 and 7. My bad. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and all he's on now. Cool. Uh... So the dust is going to return to the earth as it was. And like I said, we're going to do this right. This is 2 and 7. Let's, let's get what the dust is, y'all. Okay. Genesis 2 and 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. So, man, our bodies are composed of dirt, of dust. I hope y'all getting this. The people of color are different shades of brown. This was in the very beginning before the so-called white man ever came out of the womb before he ever appeared on the face of the planet. All right? Dust of the ground. Our bodies are composed of dust or dirt, man. You don't believe it? Go go a month without drinking water. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. You, you're more than likely going to die. You know, just like your grass dies when you don't water it or your plants die when you don't water it. This is why Christ uses a lot of allegory about forming because it relates to the anatomy of human beings. Man is is, uh, conceived by a seed, 
right? That's a man. That's a man's semen when he and he implants it in a woman, such as uh, greens or whatever vegetation you got off as a seed, and then it germinates in the soil. As it relates to uh, anatomy, uh, a man planting his seed in the soil of a woman, and then it, that that uh, seed germinates. It gets fertilized and it grows. Anyway, anyway, I don't want to get too far off topic, but the dirt is us, y'all. We were created from dirt. All right, the the book we're reading in Genesis chapter two, verse seven. Read it again. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. So man was formed from dirt, from the earth. Now let's go back. Ecclesiastes, I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 7 reads it again. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was. So the dust that's returned into the earth is us. It's our body decomposing because that's what happens when you die, when your circulatory system is not working no more. It's carrying blood and all the systems in the anatomy of the body. It shuts down. Your body decomposes. And if y'all seen any movies or looked at any uh, YouTube educational videos or any educational videos about rigor mortis and the body decomposing, you can clearly see it with your eyes that the body turns to ashes, dust. That's why when you die at the funeral, the reverend, the preacher, Says what? Ashes to ashes and dust to dust, man. They get it from the Bible. Read it again. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was. As it was. And remember, life is a cycle. So you start off from dirt, and guess what? You go back to dirt. The cycle of life. When you're born, you can't lift a spoon to your skull to eat. You got to be nursed. When you ain't got no teeth. You got a little bit of hair. <laughs> you can't stand up. You can't walk. You got to learn how to do all that stuff right when you're born. And the exact same thing happens when you go out. <laughs> you lose your hair. <laughs> you might lose some teeth. You still might, your memory might not be as sharp as it used to be. You have physical ailments. You can't walk as good as you used to. Life is a cycle, y'all. So this is what it's talking about. It says, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was. Read on. And the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. And your spirit goes back to the Father who gave it to you. Everybody's spirit goes back to the Most High. The scripture tells in Job that it's in Job, in the book of Job, it says there is a spirit, uh, a spirit of man. And the inspiration of the Most High gave it. All of us have a spirit in us that goes back to the Father we transition. That's why they call it a transition. Come on, man. I really don't get how people been believing in rainbows and two fairies and fat white men with red outfits coming down the chimney. Y'all been believing in that crap before you got the truth dropped on you. But now, y'all don't believe in reincarnation when it's all throughout the Bible. He, uh, second, this, no, first Thessalonians chapter four, and study verse thirteen, please. And this is the scripture that I like to always get people with when they 
be trying to dispute back and forth about reincarnation. And I don't want to make this about reincarnation, but I, I have to touch. I'm touching on this because I'm touching on Harry Belafonte's transition. And not just his, man. It's for anybody that has lost loved ones or on the verge of losing loved ones. These reincarnation scriptures are designed to give us some comfort so that we might understand death. And that death is very much a part of life, man. That's what's on your phone. Chapter 4 and start verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. The word ignorant means to be untaught or unlearned. I won't have you to be unlearned about this concept of reincarnation, about regeneration. Read. Brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Now, this ain't talking about sleep, sleep. I'm just, I'm having a good restful slumber. It's talking about actually being dead. Read. That ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Now, listen to what he's saying. Don't be all sorrowful. Uh, you just uh, you struck with grief for years and years and years at a time. You trying to fall all in the casket. You uh, the loudest one crying at the funeral. Uh, you can't do nothing and function for years on end because you just struck with grief. That's why it says that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. These people are going through those changes because they don't have no hope or no faith in what the scriptures say. And they just want to believe that, okay, I, my loved one's lost forever. I'm never going to see him again. Now, this is not talking about not mourning, because the scriptures tell us explicitly, explicitly <clears throat> that we're supposed to mourn. Read on. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Now, listen to this part. If you believe that Christ died and he rose again, if you believe that, and for a lot of us, we just coming out of pagan Easter Sunday and pagan Good Friday, which links in with pagan Lent, pagan Mardi Gras, Fat Tuesday, and all the debauchery that went on, do your research. I should have did a special on that. If you believe that Christ died and rose from the dead, read. Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. If you believe that Christ rose from the dead, it says, even so, them which sleep in Jesus. So it's letting you know Christ, Yahweh was not a special situation in the fact that he was reincarnated from the dead. What was explicitly unique about Yahweh Shai's rising from the dead was that he didn't have to wait. <laughs> he came right back. He said three days and three three nights he was going to be in the earth. Three days, three nights, and he was. Contrary to the pagans that believed that he died on a Friday and rose on a Sunday, that's mathematically impossible. Because he did say three days and three nights. So that was so extraordinary and fascinating about the resurrection of Christ. He didn't have to wait. He came right back after three days, three nights, presented himself to everybody. 
Exactly. Four generations, what the scriptures tell us in Exodus, the 20th chapter. Like I said, I'm not trying to fully break down reincarnation. Just give a bit of understanding dealing with Harry Belafonte's death, as well as, like I said, if you've lost loved ones or you're in the verge of losing loved ones. Read on. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Now, this is talking about the end of days, that all your loved ones that are in Christ are going to come back and you're going to see them. But in between that time, we know through the study of reincarnation or regeneration, our loved ones come back every three or four generations. That's proven in the scriptures. Read it on. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. You see that? Read. Then we which are alive. The people that are still alive, physically and spirit intact, meeting these other people's spirits that's coming, read. And remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Don't be caught up with them in the clouds, read. To meet the Lord in the air. Mm-hmm. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Read. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. No. Pester one another with, with these words. Comfort. Annoy people with these words. Comfort. Make people disgruntled on the topic of reincarnation. Comfort. This is a comfort, y'all. This is a comfort. So this brother's back with the father through biblical proofs. Now let's read Psalms 90 and 10, y'all. And the the Bible is a very fascinating book, man. I'm telling y'all. People just read this book like it's a novel or something, man. Like it ain't got nothing to do with real life. It has everything to do with life, man. What's the acronym they gave the Bible? Uh, basic instructions before leaving earth, man. That ain't what it means, but that's what it is, though. Where we at? You said Psalm 90 Yep. Now, trip off of this. The days of our years are three score years and ten. Now, listen, the Bible is letting you know how long you're going to live. Did you know that was in the Bible? It says the days of our years were three score now, a score is 20, y'all, but it says the days that we're going to live is three score. So let's do the math. A score is 20. You add three, three, of, those, three, uh, three of those 20s together, and they'll give you 60. But then it says three score years and 10. So how much is that? That's 70 years. So the most I say, I'll give y'all 70 years. Because ain't nobody living like our forefathers for hundreds of years. That ain't happening no more. The most I cut that off. But he said, I'll give y'all 70 years. Y'all hear this, right? Well, you might say, well, Harry Belafonte lived in 96. You don't know what you're talking about. Or my grandmama lived to 100. You don't know what you're talking about. Or my grandmama still living. She's 102. Now watch this. Read. And if by reason of strength, Baby, four score years. 
and if by reason of strength, you have to be strong, you have to have a good constitution, you have to be in good health, you have to be a strong individual, and then you can see four score, 80 years, and beyond. But that requires you to do what? Be strong. You got to have a strong constitution. You got to be in good health. You got to have a strong spirit. Now watch this, though. Yet is their strength labor. <laughs> Yet is their strength what? Labor. But you're going to labor. It's going to be hard work to live that long. And what? And sorrow. And you're going to have a whole bunch of aches and pains. <laughs> and you're going to have a whole bunch of sorrow. You know why? Because you're going to see a lot of people die before you. And you're going to attend a lot of funerals. You're going to be like Damn, you're going to look up, and all your friends going to be gone because you outlived them. That's where the sorrows going to come in at. You, you might have to bury your wife. You might have to bury your husband. Now you're lonely, sorrowful. Read. For it is soon cut off. And your life going to be soon cut off, read. And we fly away. And we fly away. And where are we flying away to? We just read it in Ecclesiastes 12 and 7. Spirit is flying back away with the Father, going back to the Father. I hope everybody get that, man. All right, there's another one I wanted to get. Uh, give me the one on hate. You see it? Okay. No, we don't get that second. Get that first. Okay. Yeah. As reported on APnews.com, UN Chief. Haiti's gang violence near conflict, help needed. So the violence then got so bad in Haiti, it's become a global problem, but not really. Um, and um, read on. Let me say why I say not really. Read. United Nations Associated Press. The United Nations chief urged the immediate deployment of an international armed force in Haiti to stem escalating gang violence and the country's worst human rights crisis in decades. Now, I've been hearing a lot about this, man, that gangs have basically taken over Haiti. And there's uh, unrest going on, lawlessness, the whole nine. And the U.N. talking about they got to do something about it, but watch this, read. Warning in a new report that insecurity in the capital has reached levels comparable to countries in armed conflict. Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez issued an urgent appeal for a specialized armed force to stop the crisis in Latin America's poorest country last October at the request of Prime Minister Ariel Henry and the country's Council of Ministers. Now, remember it said Latin America. You might be scratching your head right now. Be like, I thought the French colonialized Haiti. They did. But remember the other half of the island <laughs> was uh, colonialized by the Spanish, and the, the whole island as a whole is called the island of Hispaniola, which is divided by a river. So you got Haiti on one side, you got DR, the Dominican Republic, on the other side. You know the place all these, sadly, all our sisters are running to get these BBMs from? 
B B B Who's W's, whatever the hell they call. <laughs> um that's my train of thought. But yeah, it is definitely in Latin America. It's Haiti basically sits in the, the Caribbean, um in the Gulf that uh the not the Gulf area, but it's close it's ninety miles away from Florida, y'all. Burrito. But oh, it, oh, oh, I'm sorry, it's Cuba that's ninety miles away from Florida. Haiti is actually in the Gulf. Burrito. But at a UN Security Council meeting in January, neither the United States, which has been criticized for previous interventions in Haiti, nor Canada showed any interest in leading such a force. You hear that? The U.S. or Canada, they ain't interested. They don't care about Haiti. They could care less. And you want to know why? All right, go to the second one. And let me clarify, y'all. So the island of Cuba is 90 miles off the coast of Florida. The uh, island of Haiti or Spaniola is close to Cuba, and it is, in fact, in the Gulf. It's in what they call the, um, what did he refer to it as? Oh, it is it's Latin America. Yeah, Latin America. All right, so the U.S. and Canada, are, they ain't feeling Haiti. They ain't trying to help. This is why I read this. Tell me what you read from. From BBC.com, Haiti country profile. Haiti became the world's first black-led republic and the first independent Caribbean state when it threw off French colonial control and slavery in the early 19th century. That was led by the brother um, Toussaint Overture and a bunch of other brothers, I forget their names, uh, that led that revolt but claimed their independence. And they were the first dark nation in the Western Hemisphere to claim their independence from slavery, man. And the French and all other Caucasians hated them for it, and they still do. Read on. But independence came at a crippling cost. It had to pay reparations to France, which demanded compensation for former slave owners. Ain't that something? They had to pay France reparations because they messed France, France money up. Read. And people wonder why it's the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere. This is why. The 19th century independence debt was not paid off until 1947. So 1947. So from what year did they start? Did they get a year? They didn't get a year. They didn't get a year. Early 19th century. So they were in the hole. (laughs) At least a couple centuries they was in the hole trying to pay this debt back to France. Read. There have been recent calls for France to repay the money. <laughs> Read. Chronic instability, dictatorships, and natural disasters in recent decades have left it as the poorest nation in the Americas. An earthquake in 2010 killed more than 200,000 people and caused extensive damage to infrastructure and the economy. Now, yes, Haiti has had its share of natural disasters. But I want y'all to go back and do some research on all the coups 
that been uh, that been uh, operated in Haiti by the CIA. It's been a countless numbers of them. They've been destabilizing their government on purpose to suck the natural resources out of that country. Read. A UN peacekeeping force was put in place in 2004 to help stabilize the country and only withdrew in 2017. No. Talking about they was put there to stabilize the country. No, they weren't. They were put there to protect companies, American companies, European countries' investments. As they were, as they always do, no different than how they put those troops in Afghanistan. And they had those soldiers uh, patrolling the poppy fields over there, making sure that nobody messed with their money, which sponsored the opioid epidemic that's currently in effect over here. You know. In July 2021, President Jovenel Moise was assassinated by an by unidentified gunmen in the capital, Port-au-Prince. Amid political stalemate, the country continues to be racked by unrest and gang violence. Yeah, and I remember reading about that. His wife witnessed that. I think she got shot as well. But that was a coup that was sponsored by, like I said, the CIA, man. It's been going on. So we already know uh, we've got a brief history of what was going on. Let's get the biblical perspective on Haiti. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 33. We're going to start at verse 8. Because, yeah, we could say Esau, 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 bad double man. He is. Those are facts. But what we be missing a lot of times is that we brought this mess on ourselves, man. The Most High is not smashing Haiti for no reason, man. So Deuteronomy chapter 33 and start at verse 8. And of Levi he said, Let thy Thummim and thy Urim be with thy holy one. So the Thummim and the Urim was used for the Levites to talk to the Most High. So the Most High actually used to send messengers. Let me say not talk because the Most High never spoke directly to anybody. He would send his messenger angels to talk with us through the 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 Thummim and the Urim or the Urim. And this would equate to what the world refers to as a crystal ball. This once upon a time, the Most High used to talk to us, talk to the Levites, tell us what he wanted done. Read. Whom thou didst prove at Massa, and with whom thou didst strive at the waters of Meribah. Now this goes back to Aaron and Moses, specifically Aaron. Read. Who said unto his father and to his mother, I have not seen him, neither did he acknowledge his brethren, nor knew his own children, for they have observed thy word and kept thy covenant. So this was the Levite's job to observe the word of the Most High and keep his covenant, his contract he made with Israel. Read. They shall teach Jacob thy judgment and Israel thy law. This was the Levite's job. Read. They shall put incense before thee and hold burnt sacrifice upon thine altar. This, is what, this was the job of the Levites. Because remember, they didn't get an inheritance. They got the most high. The most high was their inheritance. They didn't get, let me say it more correctly, they didn't get any land. So all the tribes got land except for the tribe of Levi. Their inheritance was the most high. And the reason I'm 
talking about the tribe of Levi because that's who the Haitians are, y'all, if you didn't know. Now, let's get uh, where I want to go next. So we, we found out that was the job of the Levites. Obviously, they ain't doing it. Let's go to Ecclesiastes in the Apocrypha for chapter 39, verse 25. So the Most High gave them a job, a, that job being in righteousness, but they didn't do it in righteousness. They ended up doing it in wickedness. Read this. Ecclesiastes 39. Uh, yes. And 25. For the good are good. Excuse me. For the good are good things created from the beginning. So it says, for the good are good things created from the beginning, like we just read about the Levites and their good job that the Most High gave them in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 8. He gave them a good job. And this thing says, for the good or good things created from the beginning. Read. So evil things for sinners. And the most high created evil things for sinners. But watch this. Read. The principal things for the whole use of man's life are water, fire, iron, and salt, wheat, flour of wheat, honey, milk, and the blood of the grapes. And oil and clothing. So all of these things the Most High made for the principal use of man, and these are good things, right? Verse mm-hmm. 27. All these things are for good to the godly. For the godly is good. Read. So to the sinners they are turned into evil. But the sinners turn these good godly things into evil. And that's what exactly the Levites did, man. On the island of Hispaniola, not just them. The Simeonites did the exact same thing, man. Because you look at those islands, and they're heavily, heavily witchcraft all over the islands, on, on, on both sides of the island. You got the voodoo done by the Haitians on one side of the river, and then you got the what they call the... Uh, Witchcraft in Spanish. Santa Maria. Santa Maria. Yeah, all of that done on the Spanish-speaking side. But this is why the Most High said this about them. Let's get Genesis chapter 49 now. So in verse 5. Forty-nine. Start at verse one. Let me go jump to verse five. Okay. Genesis forty-nine and one. And Jacob called unto his sons and said, "Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days." In the current days. The last days. The last days, y'all. This was a prophecy. So this is our forefather Jacob, also known as Israel, prophesying unto his sons. And telling his sons what was going to happen to them in the latter days or the last days. Verse 2, read. Mm-hmm. Gather yourselves together and hear, ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. So you listen to your dad. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to you in the latter days. Jump down to verse 5. 
Simeon and Levi are brethren. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitation. It says instruments of cruelty are in their habitation. The island, like I said, of Hispaniola is occupied by Simeon and Levi. And on that island is a bunch of cruelty going on by way of paganism, by way of idolatry, the Santa Maria and the voodoo. Read. Oh, my soul, come not thou into their secret, unto their assembly. Mine honor, be not thou united. He said he don't want them to be united. He said he don't want to see their secrets. The secrets that they was doing, like I said, was the witchcraft on the left-hand side of the Most High. Read. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they dig down a wall. Now, I'm going to definitely get into that. But remember, the top of verse 6, it says, Oh, my soul, come not thou unto their secrets, unto their assemblies, my honor. Be not thou united. The Most High don't want them to be united. And that's why the island is divided by a river. And that's why you got the, the Simeonites on one side, people from the DR, then you got the Haitians on the other side, and they don't get along. Just not too long ago, they had uh, a, a basically a war where they the the uh, people from the DR, the Simeonites, they was killing Haitians for trying to come on their side. And as a matter of fact, I think I've read about it. Yeah, yeah. they were even sending uh, Haitians that was born on the side of DR. They were sending them back to Haiti, even though they was born on the DR side. Colorism. But this is why the Most High said he didn't want them to be united because of the witchcraft, and they and because of that, they ain't united. You know, I think it's, uh, what's the brother that's always talking about? The comedian, Godfrey. Mm-hmm. He did a little segment on it. He said the Dominicans always talking about Mino Negro. Mino Negro. And he was like, man, do you eat a plantain? Do you eat plantains? Plantains? <laughs> And he brought a whole bunch of similarities out to show them that, yeah, y'all the same people, man. But the Most High said he didn't want them to be united. And then it's, and for uh, for in their anger, they slew a man, and in their self-will, they dig down a wall. Read on. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So the Most High said he was going to divide them once again. <laughs> those brothers, those two tribes are divided by a river. They are not united. Now, the, the, uh, the uh, he said, curse be their anger. The Most High is referring to uh, Simeon and Levi when they basically killed all those Africans after they told them to circumcise themselves because they had uh, the African, this African dude had took their sister Diana and he married her without their permission. And what they did was they was like, all right, cool. Uh, Y'all want want to marry my sister? Well, y'all got to be like us. Y'all got to circumcise yourselves. So they had them circumcise themselves. And before they was even healed, they came in and killed all of them. They marked them. That's the cruelty the Most High is talking about. And they're still doing cruel things, but now they're doing cruel things to each other. 
So you might ask, why is, is Haiti in such turmoil? Why are they always going through something? Why are they the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, the poorest, the poorest country in the Americas? It's because the Most High got his finger on them because he sent them out to do a job that they ain't doing, man. They turned their inheritance into something that's evil and wicked. All right, y'all. So, man, I made a good time. Mm-hmm. I'm going to switch over right now into the class titled Never Wax Pale Idolatry Part 5. But before I do that, y'all, let's take a brief intermission so we can regroup. All right, y'all, I'll be right back. All right, y'all. I'm back. I am back. We are back. Um, so we're getting into the class now, entitled uh, "Never Wax Pale Idolatry Part 5. And last week we were going over uh, the cause of Antiochus' epiphany coming in and basically uh, defiling the temple and destroying Jerusalem. So we're gonna do a, a quick, quick recap on that. So tell them where you at. We're here, yeah, page uh, 181, yeah. The Holman Bible Atlas, page 181, Antiochus III. When Antiochus III, 223 to 187 B.C., came to power in 223 B.C., Seleucid fortunes revived. This energetic king pursued a policy of consolidation and expansion that ultimately earned him the title, The Great. To secure his southern flank and to gain control of Phoenicia and Palestine, Antiochus launched the Fourth Syrian War. Now, stop you real quick. I ain't going to do a real uh, extensive recap. I'm going to do a quick, quick recap, y'all. So uh, Antiochus is from the Seleucid line when Alexander broke up his kingdom into four realms. So we're talking about his uh, general Seleucid and dealing with the Seleucid line here. All right, so reading on. Syrian War, 219 to 217 B.C., but a large Ptolemaic force consisting primarily of native Egyptians stopped him at Raphia 
just south of Gaza. So the Seleucians were in war, Ptolemies, and this went back and forth, man, for a long time because, and y'all can go back and do y'all research, but uh, these Alexander's four generals, all they did was fight for power, man. They they, they fought for uh, control and for all the realms that he had. You know, that's that's what people do when, when, when somebody dies. They they fight for the inheritance. So this is what they was doing, you know? In 217 B.C. As a result, these territories remained Ptolemaic. Antiochus was more successful in a series of campaigns in the eastern provinces, but the problem of securing his southern border remained. The Fifth Syrian War, 202 to 198 B.C., settled the matter with the decisive victory over the Ptolemaic army at Panias, later Caesarea Philippi, in 200 B.C. Southern Syria and Palestine became Seleucid territory. So this Seleucid, the Seleucid dynasty gaining more territory that used to belong to the Ptolemies. Read. Antiochus III's victory in 200 B.C. over the, Ptolemy, the Ptolemies caused most Jews to rejoice. The Jews were weary of the heavy taxes and oppressive bureaucracy of the Ptolemies. Mm-hmm. Antiochus rewarded their loyalty by granting the Jews the right to live according to their ancient tradition. So you see, uh, Sir, uh, Sir Lucius' dynasty under Antiochus III, he gave us liberty to worship the Most High. No problem. Read. He remitted several taxes and assisted in the repair of the Jerusalem temple. Temple. So he stopped the heavy taxation on us, and he helped us repair the temple, read. Evidently damaged in recent fighting, the early years of, the, of Seleucid rule over Palestine were peaceful and prosperous. War with Rome changed matters quickly. Antiochus expanded westward into so Greece. If, remember this war with Rome. This is important. As we continue to declare, y'all got to remember this, that the Greeks and the Romans, they they were heavily back and forth at war also. Read. And remember, they're the same people, exact same people, both both Romans, Greeks, Edomites. Read. In the, ni- in the 190s B.C., where he caught the attention of Rome, Rome and Carthage had just finished an exhausting war, the Second Punic War. Now, the, the Carthage wars of the Carthaginians, these were Israelites, y'all. They were uh, Jake meaning that they weren't rolling like Israelites. They was heavily into paganism, idolatry, so on and so forth. But nevertheless, they definitely came from the sea of uh, Israel. But it talks about the Punic Wars, right? Yes, the Second Punic Wars, read. In which Hannibal rampaged across the Italian peninsula. And Hannibal, yes, was a brother. He was a black man. Like I say, he was Jake, though. Read. When Antiochus invaded Greece in the company of Hannibal, Rome fought back. And Hannibal helped Antiochus in, the, uh, in one of his fights uh, with the Greeks or with the, uh, with the Romans. Read. In Western Asia Minor at Magnesia in 190 B.C., Antiochus was beaten decisively. The Romans demanded a large sum of money and the forfeiture of all Seleucid claims in Asia Minor. Antiochus III faced financial disaster and diminished power. He died in 187 B.C. Mm-hmm. while looting a temple in his eastern provinces 
secure money to pay his debt. So Antiochus was looting these temples looking for money so he can pay the Romans because he has to pay, he had to pay them restitution because he lost the war. Antiochus III left two sons as potential heirs to the Seleucid throne. The eldest, Seleucus the fourth, became king in 187 B.C. and ruled until his assassination in 175 B.C. Saddled with his father's debt to Rome, he increased taxes to pay the tribute. Now, you see this? He, he still had to pay the debt. Even though his daddy was dead, the debt extended and went down to the family. Y'all still got to pay me. So he had raised taxes to get the money up to pay Rome back, read. And sanctioned plundering of temples in his kingdom. And he was plundering temples, looking for riches, read. Seleucia sent Heliodorus to Jerusalem to confiscate the temple treasury. Now, we read this last week. This is why Heliodorus showed up. And remember, this kicked off because this sellout nigga named Simon told them that there were riches at the the uh, temple that was in Jerusalem. And he knew they would be interested because they still had to pay the Romans off for the debt they owed from losing the war. Read. We read that last week. Read. When angelic beings intervened and forced Heliodorus to abandon his mission, Heliodorus murdered Seleucus IV in 175 B.C. Antiochus IV, a brother of Seleucus, who had been previously held as a political hostage in Rome. Now, that's Antiochus Epiphanes. It tells you that in 1 Maccabees, the first chapter, that he was held hostage at Rome. So they not only had to pay Rome back uh, restitution for losing the war, but the Romans had a policy where they would take your relative as a hostage, (laughs) And then they would keep them. I believe it was every three years they would they would trade a hostage. And what hap- what ended up happening was uh, Antiochus's the fourth brother uh, traded his son for his brother Antiochus the fourth. Read. Returned to Antioch to claim the throne. An ardent supporter of Greek culture, Antiochus took the typically Hellenistic title, Theos Epiphanes, God Manifest. The new king also was ambitious and dreamed of restoring glory to the Seleucid kingdom through expansion. Egypt was the most promising target since any move toward the west would invite swift Roman retaliation. Antiochus IV began an aggressive policy of Hellenization to unify his kingdom and prepare the way for an invasion of Egypt. In Jerusalem, a strongly Hellenistic pro-Seleucid party emerged that Antiochus favored. A strong Hellenistic, a pro-Hellenistic party. So this, these were the Israelites. Remember, Simon, Jason, that uh, wanted to build a place of exercise. We read about this last week. They were pro-Hellenists and even went so far as to call themselves Antiochians. So these niggas is who we're talking about right here. Read. The king sold the office of high priest to Jason. And they, the king, Antiochus, sold the, the, the priest's office. They sold the priest's office. When did we ever do that? We never did that. So he sold it to Jason, read. The brother of Onias III, who was the legitimate high priest. 
Jason was a thorough Hellenist who introduced Greek festivals and sporting events to Jerusalem. So he introduced this to our people, Read. Young Jewish men received training in Greek ways at the gymnasia built in the city, 2 Maccabees 4, 7 through 17. Read on. In 172 B.C., Menelaus outbid Jason for the high priestly office. They were bidding to Menelaus, uh, Israelite, another wicked nigga, bid on the priest, uh, the priest's office. Read. Menelaus was from a non-high priestly lineage. He wasn't even a Levite. Read. The sacred office of high priest became a political tool and source of revenue for Antiochus, while Jerusalem took on the... Now, that's very important. It became a source of revenue for Antiochus, because remember, Antiochus was in debt to the Romans. Read. While Jerusalem took on the trappings of a Greek city. These changes deeply distressed the more traditional elements of Jewish society. Antiochus attacked Egypt on two occasions between 170 and 168 B.C. He was on the verge of complete success when Rome ordered him to withdraw from Egypt. Unwilling to risk war with Rome, Antiochus retreated. He won no more war with Rome because, remember, Rome was more powerful and he was still in debt to them. And you can't go to war unless you get your money right. Read. News of his failure and a rumor that Antiochus was dead prompted Jason to attempt to reclaim the high priesthood. So a rumor got out that Antiochus was dead. So Jason tried to get the priesthood back from Menelaus. And what happened? Read. A move Antiochus interpreted as rebellion against the lucid rule. He said, Mom, man, these niggas, these Israelite niggas is rebelling against me. So because of that, read. Determined to ensure the loyalty of Palestine and secure his border with Egypt, Antiochus imposed restrictions on Jewish traditions and forced Greek customs on the Jewish population. And this is where he came with the forced assimilation, y'all, that you read about in Maccabees, him killing uh, anybody that was worshiping the Most High, making us not circumcise our children. He uh, outlawed the Sabbath day, all of that. Read and forced Greek customs on the Jewish population. An edict forbade the right of circumcision and the observance of the Sabbath. A pagan altar dedicated to the worship of Zeus was built in the Jerusalem temple. And this dude built a pagan altar to worship the god, the fake god, Zeus, in our temple, mind you. Read. The abomination of desolation in Daniel... 1131. Now, it says the what? Abomination of desolation. The abomination of desolation. So Daniel prophesied about that. Let's get Daniel, Daniel chapter 11. It says verse 31, right? Daniel 11 and 30. For the ships of Chittim shall... This is the ships of Chittim. Chittim, y'all, is Italy. All right? Read. Shall come against him, 
Therefore, he shall be grieved and return and have indignation against the holy covenant. So shall he do. He shall even return and have intelligence with them, the holy covenant. Now, this is very interesting. When it talks about the, the ships of Shittim, like I said, Shittim is talking about Italy. You know, Rome is in Italy. So this is talking about Antiochus uh, going to war with the Romans. And it says, and return and have indignation against the holy covenant. Talking about after he came back from Egypt. Because remember, he wanted with Rome, and Rome warned him about messing around in Egypt. So after he came back, it says, against the Holy Covenant, here's him coming back, coming to Israel. We just read it out of the Homer's Atlas and raging a war against us because he thought we were rebelling. rebelling. Read. He shall even return and have intelligence with them that forsake the Holy Covenant. The intelligence is, is the report that he got on uh, what, uh, what's his name, Jason, was trying to do. And he thought it was an act of rebellion. Read. And arms shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, and shall take away the daily sacrifice. Now, we just read that, about them polluting the sanctuary, taking away the daily sacrifice. Read. And they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. Now, the abomination was him sacrificing swine's flesh on the altar, and him building that damn temple of Zeus in our, in our temple. I hope everybody's seeing that. Now go back to the homens. But Daniel prophesied about this before this even happened. <laughs> this is before the Greeks even came in, before they ever came into power. Daniel prophesied on the, on, about this. The abomination of desolation in Daniel 11.31 12-11, and 12-11. As a sign of loyalty, Jews were required to offer pagan sacrifices, including the offering of swine flesh. Antiochus placed lucid troops in Jerusalem at a citadel known as the Acre to ensure compliance to his edict. On two occasions, the lucid troops plundered the temple on orders of the king. Now, let's get... Uh... 2 Maccabees chapter 4, verse 15. Second Maccabees 4, 15. Not setting by the honors of their fathers. No, it says not setting by the honors of the fathers. It's talking about us. We were not uh, like our forefathers honoring the most high read. But liking the glory of the Grecians best of all. We like being Hellenized. Some of us anyway. Read. By reason whereof, sore calamity came upon them. And because of this, the most high brought these calamities on us. Read. For they had them to be their enemies and avengers. We had the them. The them is talking about the Greeks being our enemies and our avengers. So the most high sent them against us to avenge him, or to, yeah, to avenge himself on our disobedience. Read. Whose custom they followed so earnestly, and mm-hmm. unto whom they desired to be like in all things. We wanted to be like the Greeks in all things. This is important, y'all, if we get into the New Testament. Read. 
For it is not a light thing to do wickedly against the laws of God. Mm -hmm. But the time following shall declare these things. Now when the game that was used every fifth year was kept at Tyrus. Now, this game was kept every fifth year at the Olympics, y'all. So now this day and age, they do it every four years. I guess they're trying to throw us off the track with connecting the dots. But now it's kept every four years. It used to be kept every five years. Read. The king being present, the, this ungracious Jason sent special messengers from Jerusalem who were Antiochians to carry. What did they call themselves? Antiochians. They called themselves Antiochians. These were Israelites, y'all. Called themselves Antiochians. You know, like all these damn football teams and sports teams called themselves Whatever the damn school name is, it's no different, man. It's the same thing. History repeats itself. Read. To carry 300 drachms of silver to the sacrifice of Hercules. Who were they sacrificing? Hercules. Y'all see this? This was a, a Greek and Roman god. We're going to find out. goes back to Egypt. Read. Which even the bearers thereof thought fit not to bestow upon the sacrifice because it was not convenient, but to be reserved for other charges. Mm -hmm. This money then, in regard of the sender, was appointed to Hercules' sacrifice, but because of the bearers thereof, it was employed to the making of galleys. So these wicked Israelite neighbors raised money to, uh, to do a sacrifice to Hercules. Now let's get... Uh, where I want to go. Here it is, right here. Let's get Greco-Roman religion and philosophy. And this is out of the encyclopedia, y'all. So I want you to start reading there. Okay. From encyclopedia.com. Greco-Roman religion and philosophy. The ancient Greek and Roman worlds made important contributions to both religion and philosophy. The study of nature, the study of the nature of truth, knowledge, and moral values. In fact, the word philosophy is of Greek origin, combining the words philia, or to love, with sophia, or wisdom. So I'm bringing this out to show that the Greek and Romans, they're the same people, and they have the same ideology and philosophies and idolatry. Read. Greek and Roman religion was polytheistic. Ancient Greeks and Romans worshipped many gods and goddesses. And that's what the word polytheistic means. They worshipped many gods and goddesses. Read. Devout members of both groups believed that there were gods who influenced all natural phenomena. Ancient Greeks developed elaborate myths or stories that explained these phenomena in terms of how these deities behaved, their strengths and weaknesses, their, and their histories. Now, does this sound familiar? Does this sound, you damn right it does. This is America. America is still doing this. They got a God for everything. You might hear people say, football gods, the basketball gods. They got a God for everything. Read. Each Greek police or city-state independent political units consisting of a city and the countryside around it had its own set of important gods and goddesses and its own way to worship and honor them. Eventually, most Greeks identified a pantheon 
or a group of all gods and goddesses. That's what the word pantheon means, y'all. Read. Of 12 major deities. The Greeks called this set of 12 gods and goddesses the Olympian gods. Now, remember, they had 12 sets of them. This is important. It's like mm-hmm. We go into the other thing. Read. Because they supposedly lived on Mount Olympus in northern Greece. They were led by Zeus and his wife, Hera. The worship of these 12 deities was connected to the political life of the city-state, and all citizens were expected to participate in public worship as part of their duty to the state. So you had to participate in the public worship of these deities. Read. The Romans, who greatly admired Greek culture, later identified their own deities with powers similar to the Greek gods. Many of the myths and other stories known about the Greek gods eventually have come through Roman authors who adapted the work of Greek writers or created stories of their own to fit their conception of the Greek deity. Y'all see how Greek and Roman culture are the same. They are one. That's why they called it the Greco-Roman Empire. Greek? Ancient Greeks and Romans were strongly affected by these gods and goddesses. They worshipped them daily, offering parts of each meal to the gods and taking part in special religious festivals and holidays. As we just read about in the book of Maccabees, the sacrifice of Hercules, because the sacrifice was food. You, you gave food to the god or the goddess. Read. The major life cycle events. And of, this is what they celebrated, major life cycle events of birth. They celebrated birthdays, y'all. Read. The major life cycle events of birth, marriage, and death were also celebrated by religious rituals and ceremonies. Mm -hmm. The Greek myths, in turn, attempted to explain the mysteries of life and nature, such as the origin of the world and the creation of the seasons. Philosophy. Read. However, Greek religion and later Roman religion had no specific rules of proper behavior. Now, you see this? They had no specific rules of proper behavior, y'all, mean, meaning they had no morals. There was no moral code, no laws. There were lawless people. We're the greatest nation. The Israelites are the greatest nation ever created on the earth because the Most High gave us code. He gave us moral rules. He gave us a standard. The rest of the nations didn't get this, y'all. Read. There was no set of religious beliefs or principles to follow. Each citizen was free to decide how he or she would, should behave as long as he participated in the public official worship ceremony. That's all they cared about. You can do whatever you wanted to do as long as you showed up to worship these gods. No different than America. Read. As a result, in Greek secular non-religious life, there was room for discussion about what a good life meant and even for wondering about how nature is constructed. Once again, philosophy. What is the meaning of life? That's the question they always ask. But when you look in the book of Ecclesiasticus, Solomon says, let us now hear the conclusion. It says, sir, it says, uh, man, I got to get it. I don't want to misquote it. I know I'm kind of jumping, y'all, but I got to get this. Ecclesiastes. Hold it real quick after that. Matter of fact, no, just stay with you. I'll read. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 
and verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. So, and this is Solomon. And Solomon said he studied folly. Solomon studied both sides of the coin, the righteousness of the Most High and the evil on the left-hand side of the Most High. But he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. So what's the meaning of life? He says, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So what's the meaning of life? Fear the most high, keep the commandments. The nations didn't have us. Only us. We had this, y'all. Going back to the Arcanine, read. Each citizen was free to decide how he or she should behave as long as he participated in the public official worship ceremonies. As a result, in Greek secular non-religious life, there was room for discussion about what a good life meant and even for wondering about how nature is constructed. Greco-Roman philosophy, the system of thinking established and used in ancient Greece and Rome, took over the discussion of these questions. In other cultures, these questions were answered by religion. For so in other cultures, these questions were answered by religion. So saying that the other nations, they had their religious beliefs. But the, the Greeks and the Romans, who are Edomites, this day and age known as Caucasians, they didn't have this. Like I always say about these people, these people are empty. This is why everybody's religion is theirs. They're trying to grip onto some because they have a void in them that cannot be filled. Read. For this reason, Greco-Roman philosophy was revolutionary in the history of human thought. It relied on logical reasoning, established the first scientific vocabulary, and generally laid the foundation for much of future Western philosophy, the philosophy of countries in Europe and the Americas. Now, it says the scientific vocabulary, y'all. This goes into the medical field. This is why all the medical uh Terminology is in Latin, all of it, the medicine, the, 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 um, the diagnosis, all of Latin words, because the Greeks and the Romans spoke what? Latin, which they stole from the Latians. Read. From the 6th century BCE on, the Greco-Roman tradition served as the dominant religious and philosophical system of the Western world until about the 5th century CE. Oh, oh, oh. read that again. Mm-hmm. From the 6th century BCE on. Where you at? Oh, read that part again. From the 6th, uh, above it. And the journal lay in, uh, okay. yeah. It relied on logical reasoning, established the first scientific vocabulary, and generally laid the foundation for much, much of future Western philosophy, the philosophy of countries in Europe and the Americas. And the Europe and America still follows what? Greco-Roman philosophy. And they still follow what? Greco-Roman idolatry. Read. From the 6th century BCE on... The Greco-Roman tradition served as the dominant religious and philosophical system of the Western world until about the 5th century CE. Mm-hmm. Greco-Roman philosophy focused on objective inquiry, asking unbiased questions that favor no particular outcome. 
It is often seen as humanity's first attempt to provide rational explanations for the workings of the world without mythological content, traditional legends or stories, or the use of God to explain existence. This is known as science, science, Scientology, y'all, without the representation of the Most High. This is why they never give the Most High any credit. It has to be, has to be a scientific mm-hmm. explanation for this. It has to be a logical explanation behind this without the Most High, right? The Most High didn't do none of it. There is no God, right? Read. The Malaysian school, early philosophers who tried to explain how nature was made, searched for an underlying element, Archie, constituting all matter. Later, Socratic thought, which followed the teachings of the Athenian philosopher Socrates from 469 to 399 BCE, added social, ethical, and political theories to establish philosophy. These philosophies later inspired Roman thinkers during the period of the Roman Empire, circa 31 BCE to 476 CE. Mm-hmm. Although many of the answers found by the early Greek philosophers regarding the nature of the universe were later proved false. Later proved what? False. They have no merit. They can't prove none of their mythology, none of their nonsense that they call philosophy. Read. Their use of logical analysis led to the rise of the scientific method. The scientific method known as Scientology. Read. The scientific method is an approach to conducting research in which a problem is stated, data or pieces of information are gathered, a hypothesis or intelligent guess is made from these data. An intelligent guess, based off of whose intelligence. Anyway, I just want to read that, y'all, to show how engulfed uh, idolatry was in Greek and Roman culture and how it extended on to the rest of the world. So I want us to understand that. Get that part. Let's go to Acts chapter 19, verse 20. This idolatry was all over the world. I'm going to prove it. It's even in the Bible. So we're going to Acts now, chapter 19, verse 20. You got it? Read. Acts 19 and 20. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia. When he passed through what? Macedonia. So you see how Paul was traveling all over, y'all? So Paul was in Macedonia, read. And Achaia Mm -hmm. to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. Read. So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus. But he himself stayed in Asia for a season. Paul was everywhere, read. And the same time there arose no small stir about that way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana. Made silver shrines for who? Diana. For Diana. Who is this damn Diana, though? All right, y'all. So let's get this right here. Read that. From Wikipedia, Diana. Diana is a goddess. Mythology. Mythology. Diana is a goddess in Roman and Hellenistic religion primarily considered a patroness of the countryside. And what religion? 
Hellenistic religion. Dealing with the Greeks, y'all. I hope we see this. And where, where did the where did the Greeks come into play? We're reading about it in the book of Maccabees and them coming into power, as well as using other historical sources. And we just got it out of the New Testament. So what was the Israelites doing in uh, Greek culture, in Hellenistic culture, worshiping gods and goddesses, which you just read out of Maccabees, and they were still doing it in the New Testament during the time of the Romans? Diana is a goddess in Roman and Hellenistic religion, primarily considered a patroness of the countryside, hunters, crossroads, and the moon. She's equated with the Greek goddess Artemis and absorbed much of Artemis' mythology early in Roman history, including a birth on the island of Delos to parents Jupiter and Latona and a twin brother, Apollo, though she had an independent origin in Italy. So that's who Diana was, or who she is. Now let's go back to Acts chapter uh, 19, verse 24 again. 24? Mm-hmm. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said. Hold on, y'all. I'm sorry. We got to get this too. So let's go to Babylon to Timbuktu, page 58. So this was us in in Rome, in Roman providences, uh, worshiping these other gods, and we're going to get some history on these gods. Read the highlights. From Babylon to Timbuktu, page 58. The Egyptians also worshiped the animals, nature, and the 12 gods. The who? 12 gods. But we just read in that article, greco Roman philosophy, how many gods did they have? Twelve. Twelve. You see the similarities? Because <laughs> they took the Egyptian gods and they started worshiping their gods. It's going to say it, read. Hercules was one of these 12 gods. Who was? Hercules. We just read about that in the Apocrypha. Hercules was one of these Egyptian gods. Read. Herodotus, the Greek historian, says that the Greeks adopted the black god, Hercules. They did what? Adopted the black god, Hercules. Hercules was originally a black deity because they got it from the Egyptians, and the Egyptians was black. Read. From the Egyptians. When the Greeks and Romans took over the gods of Asia and Africa, sometimes they changed their names and color. They did what? Their names and color. They did what? Changed their names and color. These people are not original. Read on. Do you want me to jump or continue past this part? Keep reading. Let us return now to our triad, Osiris, Isis, and Horus. I think that more than any other god, the legend of Osiris underwent great transformation through the passage of history. At first, I am certain he was a subsidiary god, but he arose to the status of a sun god. In Egyptian mythology, the legend says Osiris was king of Egypt, and he married his sister Isis. Hold on, let me see. Uh, 
Hold on for a second, y'all. We ain't gonna read all of this. Yeah, let's jump up to the other highlight. Read this right here. Okay. Page 59 from Babylon to Timbuktu. Isis recomposed the body of her dead husband, skillfully connecting the parts together. Now, this is all Egyptian mythology. Mythology is something that is a myth. It's not true, y'all. Read. She then effectuated the rites of embalmment, and this restored the body to eternal life. So this is what they believe. Now, this is also going back to Nimrod, y'all. Read. It was always considered in Egypt that the preservation of the body intact was necessary for the eternal life of the soul. Finally, Isis brought forth a son after the death of her husband. This posthumous birth was conceived by the union with her husband's dead body, miraculously reanimated by her charm. Now, remember, her husband was also her son. (laughs) Yeah, read. This mythology reminds one of the spirit entering into the Virgin Mary, thus conceiving the child Jesus. And this is where they get that crap from. This is paganism. Mother and child, mother and child, that came from the Egyptians. You know, that portrait that you see all the time with supposedly it's Mary and then it's Christ, that's Egyptian mythology, y'all, which split, split over into the Bible is they created a whole religion called Christianity out of talking about Christ was immaculately concepted, His the, the Virgin Mary. You a virgin, but you pregnant. Come on, man, stop. All right, now let's go back to Acts. You in verse 25. Mm-hmm. Whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, through all what? Asia, Paul has persuaded and turned away much people. So, throughout all Asia, they were worshiping the deities. Read. Saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. See, Paul was telling the people, hey, telling the Israelite people that these are not gods. Read. So that not only this, our craft, is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised. They worry about their craft. In other words, their money. Paul was messing their money up. (laughs) And... He was deterring Israelites from being pagans, from being idolaters. Read. And her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. The whole world, the known living world under the Romans, were all worshiping who? Diana, which is also known as the Queen of Heaven, which is also known as Astarte, which is also known as Ostereth, where you get Easter from, same deity, man. Queen of heaven, all of that. Now let's go to Acts chapter 19, verse 24. And 24? Mm-hmm. Going back up. Uh, Wait a minute. We just read that. I'm sorry, y'all. 
Exodus 20 and 1. Correct your notes. We're going to Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. <clears throat> and God spake all these words, saying, I am. spoke all these words unto Israel. Read. I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, mm-hmm. out of the house of bondage. Mm-hmm. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You were the most I said. What did he say? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's how you would say it in Hebrew. No other gods. No other gods. Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. So this is what the first commandment that the Most High gave. Have no other powers or no other gods before him. This is what Paul was telling these Israelites that was in Asia and all the other places that he visited. He was trying to get these Israelites to stop being idolaters which we dove heavy into during the Greek and Roman captivities. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles. What did Paul say? (laughs) Ye know that ye were Gentiles. Paul said ye know that ye were Gentiles. Huh? (laughs) What do you mean we were Gentiles? What does this mean? And I'm bringing this out and clowning because a lot of people read this and say, oh, yeah, the Gentiles can make it now, the other nation. No, it's not talking about that in the New Testament, y'all. He's proving it here. He said, I know, or ye know, that ye were Gentiles. Wait a minute. (laughs) How can I used to be a Gentile? But I ain't a Gentile no more. So I was a Chinaman yesterday, but today I'm an Israelite. I was uh, uh, Saudi Arabia, and I was, a, I was an Arab last week, but this week I ain't no more. <laughs> How you used to be a Gentile? See, this, this proves that people be reading and not reading in context. You, you're not using the basic, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The basic education that you got in school to where your reading comprehension is still off. <laughs> Read that part again. Ye know that ye were Gentiles. So y'all used to be Gentiles, meaning what? Y'all used to think and roll and practice what the Gentiles practice, which is idolatry. Y'all used to do this. This is Paul talking to the Israelites that was at Corinth. He said, y'all used to do this. Read. Carried away unto these dumb idols as ye were led. Paul's telling them, y'all used to be into idolatry. You Israelites, the Ecorinth, y'all used to be into idolatry. I hope everybody is seeing this. Now, let's get 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 14. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. So Paul telling these Corinthians, Israelites, they were in the cities of Corinth, flee from idolatry. Read. I speak as to wise men. Judge ye what I say. Mm -hmm. The cup of blessing which we bless is not the communion of the blood of Christ. Right. Is it not the the communion of the blood of Christ? 
Now, remember this communion actually is Passover supper. And remember what Christ told us. He said, as often as y'all do this, meaning as often as y'all celebrate Passover, remember me. So Paul is reminding them, is this not the communion of the blood of Christ? Read. The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? So the unleavened bread. Read. For we, being many, are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. All of us. Now, he was talking to Israelites that was into paganism, idolatry. But listen to what he says, read. Behold, Israel after the flesh. (laughs) Behold who? Israel after the flesh. So who is he talking about? He's talking about Israelites, y'all. Born of the flesh, flesh, meaning what? They were into idolatry. Read. Are they not which eat of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar? Mm -hmm. What say I then, that the idol is anything or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols to anything? Read. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice. The things which the other nations sacrifice. Read. They sacrifice to devils. These nations are sacrificing to the left-hand side of the Most High. They're idolaters. Read. And not to God. Mm-hmm. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. And Paul said, I don't want y'all to be like the Gentiles and be idolaters. You Israelites, because remember what he said in the previous chapter or the chapter of, uh, after this. He said, ye were once Gentiles. So y'all were once idolaters. He was trying to stop the Israelites of Corinth from being idolaters, y'all. Read. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? You hear what he's saying? He's trying to dissuade us from being idolaters and participating in the idolatrous behavior that our ancestors picked up during the time of the Greeks. Now let's go to Psalms chapter 96 and verse 5. You got it? Read. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty. Psalms 96, verse 5. I'm sorry. For all the gods of the nations are idols. What did he say? For all the gods of the nations are idols. This word nation is synonymous with the word Gentile. It's synonymous with the word heathen. They all mean the same. So it says for all the gods of the nations or all the gods of the Gentiles are idols, man. Nothing. They're just idols. Read. But the Lord made the heavens. But the Most High is the Most High. Ain't no no other God with him. Let's go to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, and let's go to verse 16. That's why the Bible says, uh, it says they read in the book of the Lord distinctly. You have to read the Bible very carefully so you can understand, man. You can get things in context. And you see how important the history of the Bible is? Because it's a history book. Because mm-hmm. without the history, you'd be lost by the time you make it up here to the New Testament. 
You can just uh, you can it just uh, go iso Jesus and just make it whatever you want it to be. Read seventeen sixteen. Mhm. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Read. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews. So he disputed where? In the synagogue. With the Jews. So did Paul care about the whole city of Athens as a whole? Mm-mm. He cared about who? The Jews. The Jews. So who was into idolatry? The Jews, the Israelites, because the Most High told us we not to have any other gods but him. He wasn't talking about the whole damn city of Athens and the heathen that was there. He was only concerned with his people. Read. And with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Mm-hmm. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. So here they come with that damn Greco-Roman philosophy crap, read. And some said, what will this babbler say? He seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And you hear what they're saying? Oh. He teaching another doctrine. Who is this Jesus? And once again, reincarnation. Our people always had a problem with reincarnation, man. Nothing new under the sun. Read. And they took him and brought him unto the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. Now, it's how ignorant our people was. Christ is mentioned countless times in the Old Testament. But they said that this Paul's doctrine about Christ coming and being the Savior is was new. Read. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would we would know, therefore, what these things mean. Mm-hmm. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. So they just wanted to hear something new. You know, no different than Israelites now bringing out new doctrine, new stupid stuff. And they got nothing to do with us getting the hell up out of here. Read. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. I call it stupid-stitious because who the hell it is. Break on, step on the crack, break them on the back, sweep, sweep somebody's feet, you got to spit on the broom. All the superstitious stuff we were doing back then. Read. For as I passed by and beheld your devotion, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. So y'all ignorantly worship the Most High, but now I'm going to declare unto you. Read. God that made the world and all things therein. The, The unknown God you talking about, he made the world and everything that's in it. Read. Saying that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Like Stephen told us in Acts, the seventh chapter. Read. Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though. I'm sorry, and he got it from Isaiah, I believe the 60th chapter, that Isaiah said this. Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. So Paul was like, let me show you about this God, this unknown God, y'all building altars and crap for. Y'all don't know nothing about it. Read. 
and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. So some people might read and say, see, everybody's blood is the same. Now, what Paul is actually quoting is Deuteronomy, the 32nd chapter in verse 8, when it says, when the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance. And he's talking about all men coming from Adam. Yes, all, I'm sorry, all men being of one blood. He's talking about everybody came from Adam. Adam, this was after the flood, through Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But remember, the Most High divided the nations their inhabitants and this is even telling you, in the bounds of their inhabitation, meaning he never meant for all of them to be together, letting you know that people are not the same. Even though it came from the same blood, people are different. Mm-hmm. Read. That they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Mm-hmm. For in him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. See, Paul is telling man, we're the children of the Most High. <laughs> Spiritually, he's telling us this. Telling these ignorant-ass Israelites that didn't know about the Most High who the Most High was. Read. Then, as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone. Graven by art and man's device. Here he is telling them about the idolatry, man. Stop building altars and graven images. Remember, the Most High told us not to build them and not to worship them. Read. At the times of this ignorance, God winked at. But Paul said, okay, the Most High is winking at your ignorance because you don't know about him because you heavy into idolatry, which you got from the Greek occupation or captivity that we was in and split over to the Romans. So the Most High is going weak at your ignorance because you didn't know no better. Read. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. But now since I'm schooling you on who the Most High is, you got to change. That's what the word repent means. You got to have a godly sorrow about your idolatrous ways and change now and worship the true God, the true creator, the Most High. All right. Uh, what was we at? That was Acts, right? Mm-hmm. We read the verse, what? 30. 30. Now let's get Acts 21. Damn. You know what? Uh, yeah, let's, let's try to squeeze it in. Acts 21, verse 36. For the multitude of the people followed after, crying, away with him. So this was uh, Israelites saying, away with Paul. That's who they're talking about. Read. And as Paul was, was to be led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto thee? Mm-hmm. Who said, Canst thou speak Greek? So he said, Paul, you can speak Greek. Now, why would Paul be able to speak Greek? Because Paul grew up in Greek and Roman provinces, and he learned the language of the land. Read. Art not thou that Egyptian? No, he called them an Egyptian. The Egyptians are black, people of color, the, the original ones, the ancient Egyptians. So it's letting you know that Paul was also what? A black man. But he was an Israelite, read. Which before these days made us an uproar and led us out into the wilderness for thousand men that were, excuse me, 4,000 men that were murderers. 
But Paul said, I am a man, which am a Jew. He said, I'm a Jew, Israelite, read. Of Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. Mm -hmm. And I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. So Paul's like, let me have a word with the people, read. And when he had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with the hand unto the people. And when there was made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue, saying. Paul spoke to men in what tongue? In the Hebrew tongue. Because he was a Hebrew, even though he grew up in Greek territory, a man of Tarsus, a city of Sicilia. So I'm bringing this out to show that Paul uh, even grew up in the Greek customs and traditions of the time because that's where he worked. Uh, that's where he was, where he grew up at, man. No different than us growing up in American culture this day and age. But this is Paul saying expressively that he was a Hebrew and even went so far as to speak in the Hebrew tongue to the Hebrew people. That was witness to all this stuff that was going on. Now, this is a good stopping place, y'all. I hope y'all got some edification out of the class. I hope I was not going too fast. I know there's a lot of information, and we do a whole lot of reading, y'all. But, um, man, it's needed. It's needed. We got to get these uh, historical facts and proofs so we might get uh, edified in the word and knowledge of the Most High, man, because the Bible is definitely a history book. Uh, the water Mashallah for hooking up the broadcast. The water for everybody tuning in and supporting the show. Uh, I'm going to still ask y'all, man, to please send those alms, priest funds, offerings uh, to help us out, man, uh, especially those new schools in VA and Rochester, man, uh, by way of Cash App. And uh, you can hit the website up at isbhbk.com to help support and keep the ministry going, y'all. So the water for everybody tuning in, and until next week, Lord willing, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to please tune in to Tazapod. Tuesday. Tazapod. Tuesday. Tazapod. Tuesday. Every. Tuesday. And with that, y'all, we're going to say shalom. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.